Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. All right, welcome to another episode of the Shift podcast. This is actually the fourth one we've done in quarantine as part of COVID-19. So I'm at my house. Brahim Gedeon, who is the CTO of TELUS, is at his home. And here we are connecting through the wonders of the internet to bring you what I think is going to be an amazing podcast. And that's network and internet and leadership. Brahim, welcome to Shift. Appreciate it, John. Really excited about it. I've watched two out of the three previous ones. And lots of insight, and I hope we mimic the same level of openness, and uh, hopefully people will enjoy listening to what we're talking about. Absolutely, of course. And, you know, it's a really interesting time, too, because you're kind of at the front, at the leading edge of what's going on as far as networking and IoT and 5G and all this really cool stuff. But before we start off, maybe you could just take a second and, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to and... My name is Brahim. I'm an engineer, a proud geek. So I know before Bill Gates, that was a term of shame, but now we're pretty proud of ourselves. I've been in the CTO of TELUS for almost 17 years, which is probably a world record, I think. 17 years is, is remarkable because when I think about technology and what 17 years ago technology was like, I mean, every day must be like a new day and it just keeps ramping up. How do you even stay on top of that? I think the key is to have a team that articulates enough of staying on top of it that you can understand how to help support them. And I think I'm pretty pretty blessed and, and uh, it was something in our DNA and I, and I can't take credit for it. But every time there's a technology disruption, there's one every year or two. If you think of it transformationally, then it's a brand new event because you're touching every angle, client experience, operations, deployment, the technology itself, or you can just relax and say, oh yeah, that's coming, I'll just deploy it. So being able to look at it end-to-end, I don't think, uh, John, honestly, I've had two years that are the same. Like, this is one of my rants with 5G. I find all these, all my peers are not fumbling. I mean, they're deploying, but we're not taking advantage. It's this great opportunity. Like, COVID is disastrous for the world, for the economy. But shame on us not to friggin' jump up and say, what an opportunity to be able to leverage it. What an opportunity to get some regulations faster. What an opportunity to try some new stuff. If you remember uh, Uber when they launched, I mean, you're just happy to see when the hell the car's coming. Now you can refund, you can tip. Uh, I think we have this notion, uh, I don't know it's conservative, but it's more risk averse or adventurous averse is the word I'd like to use. Get you the basic functionality going as a user and then I keep refining and adding as long as I'm giving you a service you like. It's a very interesting time, Brahim, because I just know from the work that I do at PwC and I you know, had the good fortune of working with our executive team and our you know, back to the office and what the future of work looks like. And it's really interesting how top organizations are really looking at this as a time not just to reset, but to kind of think about, okay, we have this moment in time where you know, the car is stopped on the side of the road or whatever the analogy is. What can we do to actually use it as an opportunity? So it's, I love to hear you say that because I guess the most adventurous, the most brave, the ones who can really see it as an opportunity, the ones are going to come out the other side going, look what we did, not look what we could have done. Raheem, I just imagine what it must have been like when this whole thing went down. And it's like this big tsunami of, of health you know, is coming towards it. Was that what it was like or was it just a little bit um, less dramatic? So one thing about TELUS, uh, the part that didn't hit us as much as a lot of other people, we already had a work from home policy, John, right? 
I mean, the reality is younger people today, both parents are working or both partners are working. They need that flexibility. So it was one of the value adds of Telos that you can work from home. And we just moved it from almost, what, 75, 80% to 90 plus. But some people had to stay. So that team dealt with these issues down to PPE, to Lysol wipes, to, to making sure when employees come in, we check their temperature and whatever was known at that time. And as you know, you got to love science or hate it. I love it. But, but every week or every couple of weeks, there was something new or a procedure or they dropped a requirement. So things were evolved and fluid. You have to be. So we'd meet every day. And then we'd talk about the network, the internet, the subscribers, everything from health. Like we had our own internal COVID app in terms of tracing. We double check it with manual augmentation. I'm curious also whether or not you were working with your competitors to kind of get ready and to really bolster the networks. Was that the first time that um, you guys have had to work cross uh, competitors? We always get together, but we have established channels of communication that if I have an issue, I talk to John. John talks to George. George talks to Anna. Anna said, Anna said, and says, oh, we have our monthly meeting. We'll wait for then. And we have our quarterly meeting. What moved is uh, you pick up the phone. I pick up the phone to my peers like, geez, I'm having issues. Or like uh, for a certain hospital in BC, like our team and Shaw got together and redesigned the whole access because it's a hospital in two days. It's not that we're not collaborative. It's just you have a changed level of command. And COVID, the opportunity has told us we don't need a stupid process to do certain things. Like processes are there, great rigor, but we as a nation have not dusted what worked in 10 years in some cases. I don't want to go back to the old days. Why don't we get together and do it in a week instead of six months? Let's talk innovation for a second, because I know you have a bee in your bonnet about 5G. And um, I might say that you're disappointed in 5G, at least in the adoption and how people are using it. So I want to start off by saying 5G was coined in Vancouver in 2014 at a next generation mobile networks meeting that we hosted as Telus. In Vancouver, when the team, the 34 CTOs, from around the world, we're meeting in Vancouver, said, oh, now that are we done with 4G? And then I think it's our colleague from Telecom Italia says, well, hell, we should think of 5G and it's gotta be customer centric. That was when it started. I saw the birth. It was meant to be transformative, client centric, but we fall down the mm-hmm. trick of, oh, well, I got 5G. Not that I got 5G that would make your life better this way. Oh, and, and it's faster. So I will tell you, so tell us one, the fastest 4G network in the world, right? Proud of it, proud of my engineering team, proud of our partners. Like, if you can't see it as a user, then I've done not much. So that's my issue with 5G. Yeah. Everybody was hurrying so you can take your friggin' phone and you got a 5G logo. You know, we have to rewrite applications for 5G. No, but it's faster. Moving you faster from where you are to the base station is irrelevant if your end-to-end chain is 4G. You have to rethink that. That's what I mean. I'm not anti-5G. I love the progress. Like, tell us, I think, nailed the record globally for the fastest standards-based 5G in 2018 at 30 gigabits per second. Yeah, I can brag about stupid things. What do you care as a user? I love the fact that you're always coming back to what does the customer need? What does the customer want? How can we enhance their experience? I mean, I was so excited when it does three things fundamentally for yes you have a lot of speed but you can get up to a gig with with telus 4g right so yes it would be more ubiquitous across many territories and uh, urban and rural areas the last point on 5g is i cannot sorry speaking as an individual who is empowered by his corporation to give services to canadian we cannot forget security and privacy right i am not a friggin lawyer 
I am not a crypto analyst. I am an engineer. But it'll be amiss for us as a part of our responsibility to work with our subscribers and our enterprises, not to see because your surface area for threat and attacks has increased. Yeah. That's what people don't get. The more apps you have, the more areas you have exposed, the more places where John exists in terms of authentication and new apps, the more Johns that are can be compromised, right? So we need to work with the major providers, with the major vendors like the Googles and the Amazons and the Microsofts and with ourselves to build that in. I can't expect every person to say, oh, yeah, you downloaded that app and it's your fault, right? Anyway, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm religious about this, right? Because if we're going to move Canada forward, if we're going to take advantage of COVID, I think we need to look at the realities, the usage patterns. One, using 5G right, but also forecasting for what issues people will have, right? Like, if yeah. you remember 10 years ago, you might know someone who knows someone who knows someone whose identity was stolen. Now, each and every one of us knows someone whose identity was stolen. People don't think. You had five degrees of separation. You're one degree of separation now. This is the other pandemic. This is the cyber pandemic. It's amazingly interesting because like the, the ramifications of 5G from a security side of things, I think is on a lot of people's minds. Hey, Brahim, when you, when you talk, I want to go back to the thing that you talked about, the value of 5G coming from the edge. Do you mean the edge, uh, more of like the periphery in terms of organizational edge? Where innovation typically comes from, and then it comes comes into the center. You know, one thing I my boss, uh, our CEO is great. He always says, "I need somebody to translate Brahim to English because it's." Uh, he says, "I speak Klingon sometimes because uh, <laughs> the the edge for us. I know what it is, but I realize uh, if I may just take two milliseconds and explain it. Please. Uh, today, when you have an app, like let's say you play Candy Crush, right? You're playing Candy Crush. The actual server is not located in your town or your city." Sometimes it's in a different right. country. So, so with 5G, we were able to inexpensively, uh, that whole notion of it has to go to a central location, distribute it everywhere. So for example, in Canada, the nation is four cities. All telecom operators design Montreal, Toronto, and they back each other up, and Calgary and Vancouver, and they back each other up technically. So, so what you have now is, because it was very expensive, a lot of gear, a lot of people, a lot of operations, but now you can take that and blow it up and have the top 38 Canadian cities be self-sustained from a switching point of view, from a logic. Mm -hmm. So if a lot of people in uh, Halifax are watching Candy Crush, great. We'll put a Candy Crush server there so they don't have to go to Toronto or to Dallas. And it's a stupid example, but think of medical files. Think of diagnostics. Like people say, oh, what about my privacy on the pandemic? And, and there's a fine line between your privacy and then you can't see your doctor for six weeks. Would you like to have a video call? You yeah. make that call. Which one of us who has children or has an issue would say, oh, no, no, no video calling. I'm uh, focused on my, uh... we all have to give in. So there's a bit of responsibility, but, but yeah. that's what the edge, I mean, the edge with 5G is would it able to have every factory to have their own resources that they need as they consume the internet locally, speed, security, authentication and that's what 5g is supposed to do so what canada is what is four cores should be 30 40 50 switching centers yeah. a stadium should have its own edge why not interact with the stadium so today the most avant-garde arena would let you see what other people are posting it would have a mosaic but have you ever thought of being able to pick at home which camera you want to look at 
it is there, but it's very sluggish. But with 5G, the cameras don't need to be connected. The reason you don't have 100 cameras is you can't wire the whole thing. And the, but when you're allowed to get hundreds of megabits per second at a very low latency, you can switch all of that at the arena. That begs the question, you know, we're talking about 5G and nearly zero latency and what that means for, you know, industries such as, you know, healthcare is, is a big one in terms of, you know, bringing people together and being able to perform things at greater, you know, surgeries or whatever at longer distances or uh, at what's happening in agriculture. But I want to ask you about smart cities. And I'm just wondering, just anecdotally, do you think that COVID has put any kind of delay or wrench into people's comfort with with cities in general? Like, you know, we want to live in these kind of, you know, utopian, futuristic connected cities, but at the same time, it's like right now, I, I'm not even, I haven't been down in my house in weeks. So, you know, tell, tell me how that reconciles. I think COVID is a chance for them to revisit because people think of a smart city as something new. It's the same friggin' city. We need to see right. how we make it smart and what we make smart. So I think what's important is, and I, and I think it's a fantastic opportunity and the Traditional spend on smart city has taken a bit of a delay. Yeah. And I hope that cities woke up after COVID and says, I don't have a street department. I don't have a garbage department. I have a going digital department thinking of the actual citizen as a customer. Yeah. This is what the opportunity is. So, so yes, there's a the uptake on traditional smart cities not there, but I'm hoping and I'm seeing it then. But there's a bunch of cities that are revisiting what they're doing and saying, my God, what a great opportunity. Let's think of the platform. Let's think of how they all integrate. And how do we actually make you as a citizen in that city part of the ecosystem? Like I'm from Montreal. We get two meters plus of snow a year. We're screwed. Like Montreal, Ottawa. Have you ever cleared the snow and then the friggin' city truck who you're waiting for comes by? And now your soft snow is friggin' condensed. You need that pickaxe. With a shovel. So I'd love to know, you know what, like, when are they coming? You know what, I might be able to wait. I'm, I'm going to clear the snow five minutes after they come by my street. Because that two foot or that half a meter median, which is like this high, like half a meter high, half a meter, is so compressed of snow. When the plows come in, please let me clear mine after you clear yours because the soft snow is underneath. This is basic stuff on smart cities. I'm in love with smart cities when they're done right through moving things forward holistically rather than one at a time. So one of the things that I think is probably the envy of most many organizations is how amazing TELUS is in terms of um, its culture and leadership. In fact, um, Forbes recognized TELUS as Canada's leading global workplace in their world's best employees 2020 report. That's absolutely incredible. I'd love to know more about how that culture was created at TELUS, obviously orchestrated to be that way. Maybe a little bit of uh, inside scoop on that. Before I came, TELUS was the merger of a number of companies. And one thing that our current CEO did in 2000, he said, these are our core values. And we build programs around it. Like somebody says, oh, well, you give so much to charity. I said, we do it for us. We don't do it for our customers. Nobody buys TELUS because we're the most charitable organization in the world which we are for our size. But what we do because our employees love working for us. So you create a culture where they love the values. Like we, we talk about the courage to innovate. I'm not bragging and it's not a marketing commercial, but we've had less than 1% churn for the last so many years, which is unheard of in the world of mobility. It's because we love what we do. 
it's a cultural shift. Like one of our engagement results is like where 90% employees engaged in their job, whether it's mm-hmm. true or not, but that's like world leading again. But it's yeah. because you create the right environment. Like we said, we're not going to fire anybody in the pandemic unless you screw up on something like relevant. But we as a company are bearing the brunt of making sure people are not out of a job. Like we're not waiting for handouts. We're not waiting for... But that's a commitment. It's so easy to say, oh, well, we, we revenue stream is not coming in, even though some customers are not paying. So you look at that culture, the culture that believes in you as an employee, the culture that gives you a sandbox so you can actually let your brain go and innovate, the culture that actually lets you take the stuff that you might have not done right and try it out to learn. I think that's invaluable, right? Like, I, I don't know, John, how you would compete with that. Very hard to compete. And I think that kind of leadership you know, when it comes from the top as well, it, it sets the tone for an organization like no other. I love the fact that, you know, you're empowering people and you're giving them a safe space to innovate and to, you know, to be in the sandbox and to contribute in, in a way that doesn't come with like negative, potentially negative consequence. If there's one word to capture our culture. It's empathy with our employees and empathy with our clients. Yes, uh-huh. great dividends, great love of shareholders, but it is that feeling like you got to put yourself in people's shoes. If I put myself in your shoes, John, it should be very simple to know what makes you happy. Then I have a decision. Do I care or not? And if I care, you're happy. You're engaged. You produce. You, you Well, the happiest people produce the happiest customers. It's common sense. It, it is common sense. And it's so refreshing, not that I speak to CTOs all the time, but it's so refreshing to hear someone who's has technology, chief technology officer in their title, be so concerned and so aware and empathetic of people's needs, both employee and customer. It's so great. I just have to point that out. And I think it's so good. Yes. Well, I think that listeners should should really take that to heart because you know there's a lot of organizations out there that are maybe you know tech focused or not that just focus on the product, just focus on that, and then everything follows from that. But there's there's so much choice and there's so much humanity going on now. That to miss it is, is, I think, a big mistake. Hey, do you have a perspective on or any advice for leaders who are really trying to make an impact within this remote, you know, world where we're just not together anymore? I mean, as someone in your position, is there anything that you've done differently? I've done three things. When I go out with younger people like my nieces and nephews, they sit at the same table and text each other. The assumption is they're the best people to handle isolation. What I found out, it was very difficult for the younger people to actually handle isolation way more than the old dogs like myself, because I could pick up a magazine or pick up a book or clean up something. Uh, So so one of the first things I did, I started sharing food recipes with with the young engineers at TELUS. And it's amazing when I put put a recipe and I put a picture of the food dish, it's amazing how collaborative they are. But but it was amazing Mm -hmm. how everybody stepped up. Oh, I want to impress my girlfriend. I want to impress my boyfriend. And what started off as Fahim putting something, and we might have to look at it, he's our boss's boss's boss kind of thing, to they're all contributing. So we actually produced the COVID relief book done by the GTLP, and all the money goes to uh, Dallas Foundation and a few other areas for COVID relief. But that one, one thing I did that I never thought, but you have to communicate. Like I went on Slack. I'm not a Slack guy. It's a great tool that's used for sharing code and processes. But they're all on Slack, and I started looking, oh, these are cool novels. And I said, oh, I read this novel. Have you guys read it? Then I started posting the food, and then they would react, and they'd post it. 
and we try each other's recipes. That one thing I did. The other one, which is it's time consuming, but it's very important, John, that people don't do a good job with is I went a couple of layers down in my team and I nailed uh, every two to three weeks a half hour with each and every person. So there's around 70 of them. I was shocked how much more I got to know them. So that was a great opportunity for me. After like seven or eight months, I said, Brahim, we're tired of you. Or, But it was, it was really good. And, and then I did with all my employees, like you book a slot to have a coffee with Brahim in the morning or a glass of wine. So it'll be a couple of slots in the morning once a week and a couple of slots in the afternoon once a week. And then you just book it in and I make sure there's no more than five because you want to be able to communicate, to talk. So those are the three things I did. But I have to admit, productivity on launching innovation is not working so well in this remote area where you'd yeah. sit on a whiteboard. You would not leave till you have an answer because now you're at home, like your partner, your kid, your your. Uh, the dog needs walking. The friggin' FedEx guy came on your door. You can't yep. dedicate a day when you're at home to anything. I know at PwC, we've been doing a lot of work thinking about, you know, taking the best of all worlds as opposed to the worst from all worlds and sticking them together in, in a hybrid uh, environment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough as someone who's in the creative field. I mean, I spent the majority of my career, you know, in advertising and, and working on you know, big, uh, big campaigns for the likes of yourselves and, and others. And you need that close proximity with people to come up with stuff that you just couldn't do. You just can't do like this. It's just not the same. All right. This is the time for the lightning round. Ding, 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 where I get to ask you some rapid fire questions that you haven't seen before um, so that we get a real sense of what uh, Brahim's all about. So what's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? I do. Uh cheese yogurt and with bread olives and tomatoes very mediterranean i love it what's your favorite recipe from your cookbook i i love the uh, simple dishes so uh, there's a kafta dish which every nation has some version of meatballs so it's the uh, mm -hmm. mediterranean arabic version of it with parsley onions you can cook it grill it make it into a stew bake it with tomato sauce very versatile and got proteins uh and vegetables what is your favorite mobile phone that you've ever owned? My favorite revolutionary phone was the BlackBerry slider. I still have it. I have it. I play with it. I still do it for nostalgic purposes, not just because it's Canadian, but it gave me at that time the best of both worlds, the keyboard and the screen, because everybody was going to screen or keyboard. It was the only one that yes. gave me both. And it, it, same thing with Nokia, the slider from a different era, right? Like that was my favorite uh, transformative phone. So cool. And last question, are you an early bird or a night owl? I think with COVID we're doing both. So I usually I'm up at four in the morning, I like it. But I work in naps as everybody in my team will tell you who works with me. I work in one or two cat naps, 10, 20, half an hour. But I um, wake up at four and usually go to bed around midnight. That's a good day, that's a productive day. Well, that wraps up another episode of Shift. Brahim, that was really interesting. I thank you so much for spending the time with us to really open the hood on what TELUS has been up to and 5G and smart cities and, and cookbooks. Oh, my so pleasure. thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash CA slash Shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, 
or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.